You're listening to the City Church Tallahassee podcast. For more information about City Church, please visit us online at citychurchtallahassee.com. Hey, good morning. My name is Dean, the pastor at City Church. Thanks for joining us this morning. We've been spending three weeks talking about the church and politics. Uh, those who came for Kate's baptism are like, what did we just walk into uh, with this topic? Uh, but how awesome was it to have Kate, see Kate get baptized this morning? Just so awesome. And by her grandmother, just awesome. So that was I think Kate first walked in the doors of this church when she was maybe two or three, something like that. Just so awesome to, to witness her stand up there and profess her faith in Christ uh, with her grandmother. and Just awesome. Uh, so I'm just grateful to witness that. That's a sermon in itself. Well, we can just go home you know, after all that. But what we think is really important right now for the church to be discussing what's happening in our nation, what's happening in our world, because we believe it's the scriptures that actually give us the blueprint and the framework uh, for how we're to approach these things. So I know Hunter just prayed, but I don't think a church can pray too much. Uh, so I'm going to pray for us and we'll jump in. Our Heavenly Father, as we begin our week here, we are grateful for heaven's perspective and a little bit of gospel sanity as we can come together today as the church. Just a couple of days from this presidential election, I know many are are weary and on edge and frustrated and annoyed and all, all different emotions, but we as a church this morning are thankful that not only are you sovereign, but you are our sovereign Father. You know your children and we belong to you. We're in your family. You care for us. And we are in your hands through Christ and by the Spirit. We take great hope in that fact today. We also know that America is just a footnote of history compared to your kingdom and your glory. You, the one who made the galaxy and the world, are doing just fine and don't need our help. So we humbly admit that and ask that perspective to be in our minds. We're thankful for Kate and her baptism Uh, We just ask for many years of continuing to follow Jesus in her life, that she'll make much of your name and your mission and live her life for the glory of God. I also ask you with all the churches in Tallahassee as they meet today as we are not alone and that we'll be united in the gospel. Please keep the enemy out of this place, out of our city, and let us be faithful to Jesus, uh, the way, the truth, the life, whom no one comes to the Father except through him. And it's in his great name we pray. Amen. So one of the questions uh, is why are people so divided? And of course, some of the re- it's an easy answer over issues that people are passionate about and should be passionate about. Uh, there are certain things that are, are almost like good to divide over. Uh, we divide over you know, opinions and truths and those type of things. But for the church, it should be different. Yeah, there's going to be a different mixed opinions in here. Being in a government town like we live in, or if you're just a church that doesn't A, just preach to a red meat crowd, or maybe just like the other side, like a social justice, just liberal, progressive uh, type of Christianity, you're going to have have a very purple congregation. Uh, you're going to have folks going to vote one way, folks going to vote another, uh, folks that in their convictions aren't going to vote for anybody because they don't feel like they can, whatever it might be. That's all going to happen in the context of a local church family that's really trying to reach uh, their community for Christ. But what's, what's really going on is my concern today. I'm not concerned about how the world views voting and, th- and views politics. I'm concerned about how the church views voting and views politics. Because I'm not going to give an answer to the world. Like, we're going to give an answer for our own lives as Christians. And uh, Tish Warren, who is a uh, great writer, uh, she said this, and I think she's on to something here, that Christian voting patterns are determined less by Scripture and more by race, income, and consumer subculture. Whether we live in the suburbs or the city, shop at Whole Foods or Bass Pro, listen to NPR or watch Fox News. There's nothing wrong with shopping at Whole Foods or shopping at Bass Pro or listening to NPR or watching Fox News. 
But the issue is what you said at the very beginning. Oftentimes, that is what is forming our political, not the grocery store, but that, that, those kind of subcultures, those demographics, those are the things that are often driving our politics rather than the actual scriptures. And here we are as Christians claiming that we have the word of God, that God has spoken to us through the scriptures by the Bible. And even though we revere the Bible and love the Bible and even sometimes read the Bible, how often is everything else forming our views. So of course we're going to divide over things that are not based on the scriptures, but just based on me and my situation and my preference, what benefits me the best. And that's what happens over and over again. But here is what Paul wrote to Timothy, a young pastor who was mentoring, wrote him this letter, and he said in 2 Timothy chapter 3, but as for you, not everybody else, not the world, you continue what you have learned and firmly believed. Don't venture off, don't stray from what you've been taught. You know those who taught you, and you know that from infancy you have known the sacred scriptures. Timothy had been being taught the Bible since the beginning, since he was a baby, which are able, they're not just a Bible we like or we revere, you've been taught, we've known these sacred scriptures, they're able to give you wisdom for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. Not a book on the shelf, that they're able to give us something. And he says this kind of vote of confidence for his ministry, all scripture, Every word of it is inspired by God, and it's profitable, it's useful for teaching, for rebuking, for correcting, and for training in righteousness. We need all these things from the scriptures. For what purpose? So that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. So if we have the word of God, why wouldn't that be what we want to actually shape how we view this world, how we view our country, how we view our politics? But what's really complicated is most Christians I know, myself included, we think the Bible is what shapes our politics. Like I've never met a Christian who would say, you know, I think Fox News shapes my politics more than the Bible. But like I've never met that Christian. You know, I think my favorite social media influencer follow, people I follow, they, 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 you know, I, I think I'm going to go more with them than the Bible. Like no one actually thinks that that's them. But functionally, how often is it our reality? And here's why I think oftentimes we can just feel a little bit of angst or feel unfulfilled in this political climate. Uh, maybe you're saying you're ready for it all to be over, or not just because you're tired of getting text messages from this random number and all the ads on the screen over and over again. And every time you go on Facebook, it's like, did you vote? Did you vote? It's like, I'm going to vote, right? I promise. Uh, here's what, what one writer said. Because no political party can completely capture the fullness of the values an evangelical was taught, her community's embrace of partisan politics creates in her dissonance and delusionment. Like it's always gonna feel incomplete. There's at least it should be for believers. There's always gonna be some kind of, eh, okay, I, I, I like that platform, I, I'm with it, I, I'm, I'm concerned about the other platform, but, but eh, there's just some certain, it should be that way for us. Like it should actually be unfulfilling because it's a man-made system. It's a man-made system that's targeted to our lifestyle and our demographic even more than it's designed or targeted towards the scriptures. And the world knows that. That's why they do targeted ads. And the targeted ads are not thinking, you know, I, I want a, you know, a Methodist who lives in, you know, Vermont and whatever. Instead, they're going soccer mom. You know, they're saying urban voter, young black woman, old white man, large family, they're targeting you as things that actually aren't your true identity. But we function and live as if that is our identity. So there should be some disillusionment in a man-made system. So here, here's what I want us to really understand here, and that's something that Jesus said. 
Jesus said this to a man named Nicodemus, who was a religious leader. He said, truly I tell you, they're having a really intense conversation about spiritual things, really deep conversation, I should say. Unless someone is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Now, it's important to know that born-again language is not some revivalistic, southern, you know, fundamentalist kind of language. It's actually Jesus' language. And we are dead in our sins apart from Christ. We're born sinners, and then when we prove that's true by sinning ourselves. And since God is holy and can't let sin go unpunished, he's going to punish us as our sins deserve. We've rebelled against him. We said, God, no thanks. I don't want you. I want me instead. I want your stuff instead. So again, God's a holy God, so we can't shrug his shoulders and say, oh, that's no big deal. You meant well. It's okay. No, God has to punish sin. And at the exact same time, God is a loving God and a compassionate God and a gracious God and a God full of mercy that he punished Jesus, who had never sinned, in our place, who took on a punishment that we deserved through his death on the cross, rose from the grave three days later. And as a result, we are reconciled to our heavenly father. We are given grace and we're also given new life. We are born again. We are made new creations. Dead has actually now come alive. So what's happening here is he's actually making that spiritual point about eternity that no one's going to actually get to heaven unless they they see the kingdom of God. But there's more to this. And telling Nicodemus you can't see the kingdom of God unless you've been born again, I believe that the kingdom is also here now, the kingdom of God. And I really think that Jesus is actually telling Nicodemus, outside of the the eternal aspects of his salvation in heaven and his forgiveness of sins, that he can't see the kingdom of God at work in the world right now unless he is born again. The Bible says that the gospel is foolishness to unbelievers. They can't even understand it. So God's work in the world is spiritual. It's invisible. And you have to have spiritual eyes to see it. I don't mean in some kind of strange sort of way, but that God opens our minds, gives us eyes to see, ears to hear, and with those spiritual eyes, that spiritual mind, those spiritual ears, we can see God bringing about his kingdom all around us. In a way we can't if we're still dead in our sins. The kingdom is also the reign of God. In the Lord's Prayer, we pray for God's kingdom to come. Maybe you prayed the Lord's Prayer as a child. Maybe it was in your liturgy of the church you grew up in. Maybe you have it memorized. And during that prayer, we are praying for God to make earth look like heaven. See, his reign is perfectly realized in heaven, but not yet on earth. But it has begun to be realized and will one day actually be perfect here. So what's the point of this? Christians proclaim we are citizens of a different world and a different king. And as the church was first being formed, it wasn't just some kind of virtue signaling to say that. It wasn't something you say when you get frustrated politically. Well, we're kingdoms of a different world. It's not what you say when your candidate loses. You know, it's not like some kind of just go-to cliche line we use. This idea actually shaped the first Christians and the ones that come after them the first few centuries into the words of a guy named Peter Leithart. They embodied an unprecedented social and political form that burst the bonds of all prior political categories. That this is what they embodied. This is what they lived. Not conservative, not liberal, not moderate, not center-left, not center-right, but a whole new category that can't be measured by any logic of the world. They can't even be defined as anything other than citizens of another place who are trying to live faithfully here. And that doesn't mean we don't participate in this system. 
It doesn't mean you don't register for a party. It doesn't mean you don't give money to a candidate. We're not talking about that. We're saying that ultimately what we embody is something that can't fit into any category of this world, and it's not supposed to. But right now, sadly, we have a very thin and really kind of weak political theology in America. The churches don't know how to talk about it outside of be civil. And Tim Keller, who's a pastor in New York, who's reached a lot of people in New York City for Christ, says that we have been broken into because of this weak political theology we have into red evangelicals and blue evangelicals. And the result of that is going to be denigrating parts of scripture that don't fit into our prior partisan commitments. That's what begins to happen. We become inconsistent. We become hypocritical. We become really strong in this area, but what about this? And the world's going, wait, how are you so passionate about this, but you ignore this? And the answer is, we don't really do it intentionally. We've just been so formed by the world and how to think about things that we are partisan viewers who happen to be Christians rather than Christians oftentimes who are just trying to faithfully function the system that we have. Andy Crouch, another author, shortly after the 2016 election, said to be any use to the world in these times, not first century, not third century, though it's true for that, we have to practice the spiritual disciplines that make us different from the world. To be useful in these times, we have to practice our faith in a way where distinct lives that we live are going to point us to a distinct God. Those who are born again don't resemble those who are still dead in their sins and apart from God. The question we have to ask, though, is, that sounds good, what does that look like? Well, I think it begins by embracing our status as political people. That Christians are a very political people under the banner that Jesus Christ is Lord. That's the banner we're under, that Jesus Christ is Lord. And also that we become strongly united in that declaration, which means really tight grip, strongly held issues in our hands on certain things and not dividing over areas where the Bible isn't clear. Hanging on for dear life to certain things the scriptures are clear concerning, even if it means being divided, but being open-handed about certain things where the scriptures and God's sovereignty has chosen not to speak. The early Christians, this was sent about, said about them to one observer, one historian, very early Christians, about third century, here's what they said about them. They dwell in Greek cities, meaning they live in the real world, like in culture. They eat and dress like everyone else, so they're just normal, everyday people in terms of how they look. And yet, as in like, well, there's something different about them. Their citizenship confessedly contradicts expectation. Can't figure these people out, these Christians. They marry and have children, but do not discard unwanted infants. They don't see... Children, infants, unborn children as disposable, as inconvenient. They share meals, but not wives. They're actually marrying and living monogamous lives as married couples. Like, we don't see that too often, he's saying, around these here parts. They obey the laws, like, they're, they're laws of the land, they're, they're good citizens, yet they surpass them in their goodness. So it's like they don't even need laws because of how they live and how they treat people. They, they have a unique political and social position. It doesn't really fit into our system. We can't quite figure it out. And as citizens, yeah, they're, they're here. They live here. They share in all things with others. It's not all about them. It's not about their family, their individuality. Like it's, it's more than that. And yet, they endure all things as foreigners. 
So the things that, even though they live here and are citizens here, they're, they're enduring and they're having patience and they're living their lives in the reality that they're actually not from here and the values of this world are not their values and the consequences in an earthly sense that comes with that. So I want to take you to Romans 14 to help us think through this. And the Christians at the time were, were disputing certain matters. Any time you see people from different backgrounds come to faith, with different traditions, different mindsets, different perspectives, it's always going to cause, it's always going to cause a little bit of difficulty. And, and here he says, so they're fighting over a couple things. And one of the things they were fighting over uh, was uh, whether or not you should eat meat that's been sacrificed to an idol. Because for the Jewish person, that was considered out of bounds. For somebody who wasn't raised in Jewish tradition, wasn't bound by the Jewish law, they're just like, it's just meat. Like, bring on the ribs, right? I mean, like, that, that's just kind of how, how they thought. But the people who did not believe that were having a hard time existing in the same church. They also were fighting over, uh, what about the day of the week? Like, is Saturday the Lord's day? Should we keep it? Is it Sunday? Like, how does it work out? And it just, there are just a lot of things that were causing division. Here's what he said to them. He said, welcome anyone who is weak in the faith. Now, this context doesn't mean it's a lesser Christian. This is someone who the Bible is still not forming all of their ideas. They're still holding on to tradition, culture. You know, they're Christians, but they're still letting other things influence them. He goes, but, but don't argue about disputed matters, as in mere opinions in this context. One person believes he may eat anything. My camp, let's go. While one who is weak eats only vegetables. He's not saying that vegans are weak. That's not what he's saying. This is in the context of these people who are saying you shouldn't eat food that's been sacrificed to idols. One who, eat must, one who eats must not look down on one who does not eat. And the one who does not eat must not judge one who does. Why? Because guess who's accepted him? God has. And how has God accepted you? In Jesus Christ. Through the blood of Jesus, not by whether or not you're willing to eat meat sacrificed to idols or not. That's not the basis of how God accepts us. It's through Jesus how God accepts us. Let's get down to verse 5. One person judges one day to be more important than another day. Someone else judges every day to be the same. Let each one be fully convinced in his own mind. Hold to your convictions. Hold strongly on that. Whoever observes the day observes it for the honor of the Lord. They're doing it for the glory of God. They're not trying to be difficult. Whoever eats, eats for the Lord since he gives thanks to God. He's not you know, trying to compromise you. He's giving thanks to God in his food. And whoever does not eat, it is for the Lord that he does not eat it. And he gives thanks to God. I have a visual I'm going to bring out to kind of help us understand how this plays out in our world today. We're not fighting over days of the week, and we're not fighting over vegetables or meat. Uh, so this, I'm hoping this will be helpful for us to understand. Thank you, Ryan. So here's how this looks like to be played out today. As churches and as Christians, we have a biblical or theological principle. And, if it's, and that should be found in the Bible. And the scripture is very clear on that, like just a straight line judgment, like just very black and white concerning what it is, uh, then that's a whole church political position. And I don't mean political by the world standpoint. Like, in other words, it's a Christian belief. It's like one of those things where if one of us disagrees, the other person isn't a Christian. I, I should rephrase that. If one of us, I said that wrong. If one, doesn't, if one disagrees, one of us does not have a Christian position on this matter, is what I mean. So here's an example. Let's say that we, um, our church existed during the Jim Crow laws era. 
Now, the Bible is very clear that racism is sinful, that it is an assault against God, that it is from hell itself. That racism is evil, not just racism itself, but actually legislating based and discriminating against someone's color of skin. Uh, for example, if you, were a, if you were a black man or woman living in the deep south, you could not eat at certain restaurants, go to certain schools, go to certain colleges, stay in hotels, I mean, on and on and on. So for us, I, I, hopefully we'd have been faithful then, but as a church, we're going, okay, biblical theological principle is that racism is all that I just said it was. Straight line judgment. There's no wiggle room on that. So therefore, it's a whole church political position because it's a spiritual position under the banner that Jesus is Lord. So if one of us disagrees on whether or not the Bible is clear on racism, one of us does not have a Christian position regarding that issue. Here's a, so other things are where we have a principle we believe, but the Bible is not clear on it. So therefore, it's a jagged line, what we would call a jagged line judgment, meaning I have to kind of do some work to get to my conclusion. I have to kind of take some biblical principles where it's not direct, but some ideas and just sort of work them together to try to come to my conclusion, yet everyone is not bound by that. It's a Christian freedom political position. So you can go to the same church and disagree on certain matters that aren't straight line issues and there's freedom of conscience to coexist in that environment where we differ on jagged line things. Like for example, I get asked this often, especially just every four years, I get asked if it's mandatory, if I believe it's mandatory for Christians to vote. Like it's your Christian duty to vote. Like you're being a bad Christian if you don't vote. I get asked that and I go, well, I don't have a clear cut Bible verse to tell you that. Like, I don't. There's not a Bible verse that says you have to vote. If it did, and you asked me that question, we'd answer it very quickly. It'd be a whole church position. You have to vote or you're not following Jesus. So instead, personally, I believe it's important to vote. So I would look at this biblical theological principle, hopefully realize there's not a straight line judgment, so I have to do a little bit of work to form my opinion if I want to do it biblically. So I might go something like this. Well, you asked me if Christians have to vote. Well, I don't have a Bible verse to tell you you have to, so I'm not going to say that. But I believe that it's actually really good for a Christian to vote uh, because the Bible says in Matthew chapter 5, we're to be salt and light. And salts are preservers of society. They shine a light in dark places. I, I think we can do that. I, I, think that, I think it happens through us proclaiming Jesus and loving our neighbor. That can also be applied, and can, there's principles of voting that can do that. Also, I know that there are, I have black brothers and sisters who people, I mean, le legitimately died for their right to vote. Uh, you know, back in the civil rights era, who gave their lives. So I, I want to be grateful for that. I don't want to take voting lightly. So for me as a brother, a Christian brother and sister, I want to honor that. I know there are people who really went to bat for women to have the right to vote. Uh, so I think that, so obviously voting really matters to a lot of people. Uh, also, we have people in our church who are really involved in the political process, who work in politics. Uh, so I, wanna, I don't want them to think that as their pastor, I don't value what they do, um, you know, that, that I don't, I don't, I'm not a champion for, for them giving their lives to such an important matter. So like I'm jagging through my own reasons reasons I'm making that I think are biblically informed, salt and light, loving my neighbor, those type of things, but I can't say you have to, because the Bible doesn't say you have to. I can give you my opinion, but we're under the authority of the scriptures, not the pastor's opinion. We're under the authority of the scriptures, not your opinion, if you claim to be a Christian. And we can do this with any issue that's out there. 
I mean, think of something like, um, like, like gun control. I'm not passionate about that. I'm just not, I'm not, I'm not, I'm not a, a gun guy. Uh, so I, I just don't have any real strong opinions about that. But people really do. I mean, get them going on social media and it's a huge thing. So, so you might go like, so am I thinking about gun laws biblically or just as an American citizen? Well, you're thinking about them as an American citizen because the Bible does not tell us how we should view guns. It just doesn't tell us. So rather than freak out and go crazy on everybody whenever something happens that involves guns and then coming back and telling them they're a communist or, or whatever it might be, guess what? There's, there's freedom here to talk about those kind of things. You can go to the same church, be in the same fellowship, be in the same small group and be really passionate about guns or no guns and it's okay. And you can talk about it over lunch and even get fired up a little bit. But it's not gonna divide who you are in Christ. Racism, straight line. Caring for the unborn, straight line. God said that he has made us in his image and that he has made us and knit us together in our mother's womb. And we're also told in the scriptures that we shall not murder, straight line. And if that gets you like this, you gotta ask the question, what's forming my views on this? Is a child a child or not? You know, else is a straight line how you treat someone who's been through an abortion. Kindness, forgiveness, compassion, reconciliation. Still call sin a sin, but restoring. I don't have a biblical position on education reform. We should care for the poor and about their flourishing. That's a straight line issue. How that happens? There's a lot of people a lot more intelligent than me that love Jesus that are debating these issues right now. Like we, we can have room here. Like I don't have anything in the scriptures that give me anything on tax reform. I, I just don't. So I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna, I might vote what I think about, tax, about taxes, but I'm not gonna, as a church, we're not, I'm not gonna divide with another believer or tell them they're not really a Christian or they're you know, a fundamentalist or a Marxist or whatever because we disagree on, on, on those type of things. Again, I'm still gonna vote the way I wanna vote. I'm gonna be passionate about it. We can even talk about it at lunch, but... It's a, it's, a, it's a jagged issue. It's, it's what day of the week. It's, it's meat or vegetables. I mean, we look at things that are happening in our culture right now. Um, so, like, it's like your, your military position. I mean, there's, there, there's, there's a lot of like, what the America should do for the rest of the world. I, I, there's a lot of jagged issues there. The, you know, when I think of um, someone who is, who's, who's a male and, and identifies as a female and therefore wants to use a a, a woman's bathroom. God made them male and female. It's a straight line issue. I mean, it's not mean, it's not harsh. It's just how we treat people is a straight line issue. But there's things like that that are, that are straight line that the church can't be confused on. And, and the jagged line things, we give what I want to call just two words and they rhyme so you can remember it. Space and grace. Space and grace. There are going to be people who don't think like you and don't vote like you that aren't disagreeing with you on these things, but disagree with you on these things, and the result should be space and grace. Like, it's okay, why? Because my ultimate identity is not in jagged issues. They matter, and we should articulate them and study them and come to an informed opinion, but how many people nowadays spend more time reaching, researching their candidate for an election than they do researching what the Bible says about something? I also don't have the liberty to say, well, I, I believe this, but, but I vote this. 
And that's called hypocrisy. The church is not meant to find the perfect place on our existing political spectrum. It's not. It exists to offer a different kind of political community altogether. Altogether. And it's going to mess with us. There's going to be issues where it makes you go, like I, I struggle there. And that's, that's for all of us because we're trying to operate in a system and in a world that's not, that was not created by God. The world, of course, is created by God. We're talking about our systems we have in place. They were made by fallen humans, by people who need Jesus every day. And the good thing about this is it allows us to be freed from emotional expectations of political identities. So I think one of the, the biggest, I think, things to the church on, 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 after Tuesdays, if Christians get on social media after the election and either declare that, like, this great victory has been won because your candidate won, or you declare that the world is going to end because your candidate lost. And my approach instead is, is to, to be clear here and don't show your rear end here. I, that's the best way I know how to say it because where is your first identity? Where is our victory is it in Trump winning or Biden winning? No, our, our victory is in Christ. Doesn't mean you can't be excited. Doesn't mean you can't be in your group text and do a little emoji of like a fist pump or something like that. But that's not where our ultimate excitement comes from. Like what is it that stirs our affections the most? I don't want to be known first by what I think politically. I want to be known first by what I think biblically about Jesus. And all the implications of what that means for us as Christians. So what happens when this becomes our first identity over here, or even bigger than that, almost just like this big political just sort of chart of this, it's that we begin to justify all sorts of things we never thought we'd affirm, and we, that we never imagined we'd deny. Where pragmatic political gains and wins triumph over anything else that might be, should be important to the Christian. Now again, in a flawed system, I think it's okay to make a just personal opinion. I think it's okay to make a, just a pragmatic decision because this is the world we're in and if you want to participate and you're just going to vote for this candidate because you believe that it's going to allow what you like and good for others, I'm okay. But I can't bind your conscience by these matters. That's happened in Romans 14. Their conscience should not be bound. Now, our conscience should be bound by the scriptures. And if I'm off base of the scriptures, it's not the church's fault, it's not my childhood's fault, it's, it's a me thing. There's factors, of course, but it's a me thing that I gotta come to grips with. See, here's how he, after this, this whole food and days, here's what he says in verse 10. But you, why do you judge your brother or sister, as in your church family member? Or why do you despise your brother and sister? You're really like seriously disliking people over what day of the week we're gonna celebrate, which is very important to them. It might not sound like a big day to think big deal to you. It was a very big deal to them. Over meat and over whether they eat meat or vegetables is a huge deal to their conscience. And we, can, we can roll our eyes at that today because you go to a restaurant, it's like vegan side of the menu, gluten-free menu, meat menu. I mean, it's like whatever. It's just you do you and we're all going to just eat however you want to eat. Nobody cares. Very important in this context in the first century to them regarding their faith and everything. But he's like, you're going you're gonna to fight over this? Like, like Jesus, when he prayed for unity in the church in John 17, he prayed we'd be unified, not randomly, or not be united around some fake object called like life, unity, all the things we say today that just have no substance to them. He prayed they'd be unified in the truth. 
So as long as we're not divisive and hateful towards people or unkind, it's okay to divide over truth matters. Paul's concern is they're dividing over this. He goes, for, here's the deal, y'all. For we all stand before the end of verse 10. Put that back up, please. We all stand before the judgment seat of God. I'm not going to stand on behalf of you. You're not going to stand on behalf of me. Like you stand, you're going to stand before God and give an account for your life. So, so who am I to, to try to force my conscience on you on neutral matters? You're going to give an account to God. And I'm thankful that the account we're going to give to God is going to be covered in the blood of Jesus. And now we're called to faithfulness. So Tuesday comes, in my opinion, it's important, in my opinion. But in my biblical view, it's not ultimate. And every Christian should at least agree on that. Important, not ultimate. And as a result, we can have grace and space. Because the banner and the litmus test we are under is God and his word. Let the rest be sorted out over a nice little debate over lunch. And the voting booth, that's what voting's for. We can sort those things out. Let's pray together, I hope that was helpful. Father, we are grateful for your word. We acknowledge that it's so easy for us. I know I, I, for my life this is a reality of so quickly being more formed by other sources in the scriptures concerning my views. I can be so influenced by what blogs I'm reading and who I'm following on social media, what I'm watching on TV, listening to on the radio, rather than the scriptures being that. So I repent of that and ask that I don't be conformed to the patterns of this world, but I'll be transformed by the renewing of my mind, by the Spirit. Lord, let us be people who care about things you care about. Let us define things the way you define things. Let us love our neighbor. Let us love the immigrant, the refugee, the unborn child, the woman in a crisis. Let us love the person that disagrees with us on masks or agrees with us on masks or just, just let us be people who, who love. And also we confess that oftentimes our idea of love is this generic worldly definition rather than a love that's defined by Christ who so loved the world that he died for his people. So let your definition of love be what drives us to love. That's based on who you are and what you've done. Not a random emotion or virtue signal from somebody that we don't even know. So we acknowledge, at least I do personally, and I hope I pray on behalf of the church, that America is not ultimate, that our views are not ultimate concerning this country, that you are ultimate and your reign is ultimate. That the gospel was first delivered to people in a place a long way from here where America wasn't even an idea at the time in the first century. So Lord, we ask that we'll be humbly in line as recipients of the good news not thinking that we have any kind of superiority concerning it. We're not exceptional, you are. So help us to vote and participate as people who are citizens of another place and show us what it looks like to faithfully participate here. As we take the Lord's Supper after this song, we take it today because we want to symbolize together what it is we unite around. And that's the work of Jesus on our behalf, that at your table, that all things become equal in Christ. There's no Whole Foods category or Bass Pro category or NPR or Fox, it's Jesus. And your table is what unites us and makes that a reality. Let us live that in the name of Jesus, amen. But first let's stand and sing some good news together. Thank you all.